Doesn't get through. Scramble in front. Barnes looks for it. Singularly scores! Beat the new tournament champions, University of Wisconsin! Interesting day in Western New York today. We're going to talk uh, more about it as the show goes on, but um, I think we should say right off the top that I was doing an interview just about an hour ago with uh, Will Leach, which is going to be on the show today. And uh, then I said goodbye to Will, and I picked up my phone, and I had all these alerts and text messages about the owner of the Bills dying at age 95. So rest in peace to Ralph Wilson. This is a day I think that Buffalo has seen coming for a long time, and obviously Don and I will talk about it more as we get into the show here. But um, I think everyone's a little kind of uh, surprised just because, I mean, even though as a 95-year-old man, certainly doesn't fall into the tragedy category, and it certainly isn't necessarily yeah. falling into the shocking category, but it's still surprising because, I mean, nobody knew yesterday he was going to die today. When... Darcy Regeer got fired. I heard the kind the the radio guys local kind of said like, "This isn't surprising, but now that it's happened, it's still shocking." You know what I mean? Like that's how this seems too. It, I mean, how surprised can you be that at ninety five, people have been worried or thinking about this as far as what it means to the team for ten years or so. And I was really excited about that that call off the, off the top there. Because that kid that scored that goal, Mark Zangerly, he's from Rochester. Oh, okay. Plays at the University of Wisconsin. And, Don, you kind of made a good point. The announcer blew it. He said new tournament. I mean, first of all, that was the Big Ten tournament. They never had one before. This is the first year of Big Ten hockey. Oh, he did say new, yeah. So they're the first Big Ten champs. That might have been better. And it kind of comes off as unclear. Because the Yale is not. They're still the defending champs for a few more weeks. So uh, right, right. that guy is trying to steal it. But uh, <laughs> welcome to uh, Season 4, Episode 9 of the Sportscasters. It's March 25th, 2014. Still very cold here in Buffalo, but supposedly this might be it. Uh, but Let's we'll, hope so. We'll see uh, about that. Uh, we got a great show for you today. Jane Levy returns to class up the joint. It's been a while since she's been on, and we're looking very much forward to inviting her back uh, to talk a little bit about in the upcoming baseball season, we're going to catch up with Jane, see what she's been she's been up to. She's kind of in semi-retirement, I would say, but she's still around here and there. But we'll get a get a perspective from her and see what she's up to. Also, Will Leach is on the show. He's making his second appearance. He was in Buffalo all weekend covering the NCAA tournament. So we'll get someone who is at a venue covering this NCAA tournament to see what he thought of the opening weekend. And, and it's such a unique tournament in the sense of, and we'll talk about this more, uh, it's spread out all over the country and some venues sell better than others. And some games are played at more attractive times for spectators than others. And you could have 19,000 people in the building for the third game, but only have 12,000 for the fourth game. Just really strange. So we'll get a, a vibe from Will on that. And also to see what's going on at sports on earth. He's kind of the guy that when Joe Posnanski left sports on earth, they kind of hired full-time and hope that he would kind of be the main guy, which he is there, the main guy. 
So we'll see how that's going and talk about some other things there. And then also, this weekend starts the NCAA hockey tournament. And uh, Matt Tabram, who plays for the Denver Pioneers, is going to join us and talk about the incredible challenge of facing off against the uh, Boston College in the uh, first round of the tournament. The Big Ten, that goal that we played, that was the first ever goal to win the Big Ten. Uh, Matt and his teammates won the first ever when the two leagues split off instead of having a CCHA and a WCHA. There's a Big Ten in the league that Matt team won, which is the NCHA. So okay. they're the first champions of that. So we'll talk to him about winning that and uh, junior hockey and the NCAA tournament and all those things. So a big show. We also got the greatest of all time in a book club update, and we'll get started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. We will start today with the NCAA basketball tournament. First question, how much did you watch, Don? Uh, zero. Zero, not one second. I was trying to think of that on the way over because I figured you'd ask that. Um, I know I happened to flip it on. And it seemed like every time I did, it was between games or something. So I, I don't know if I actually saw any of it. That's interesting. You know, the way I watch a basketball game is sort of with my phone in the sense that I check in and see if there's a reason to turn the basketball game on. Okay. Like, I really, until maybe the Final Four or maybe sometime this weekend after it's a matchup, I can't really sit down at zero or 20 minutes on the clock in the first quarter zero zero and get that into the game right there's too many runs and too many whistles and too many timeouts and so i'll kind of you know keep an eye on the games i watch the ends i like to see the buzzer beaters the excitement of the games at the end so i watched quite a bit of it but it was scattered i was also I think we mentioned this last week that, you know, Kenny Agostino is going to make his NHL debut. So he played on Friday and Saturday. So I was watching those two games and that took up some time. And there's all kinds of college hockey playoffs on this weekend with their tournament games. Like we played the highlights. So I was watching that too. So I watched a lot of, a lot of sports this weekend and I did watch the tournament and it, it had its great games and it's, Bad games, as it always does. And the first day was especially good. I think they set a record for the most overtimes in the in a day of the tournament. I think they had five. And uh, there was a buzzer beater and a classic picture on Twitter of the reaction of the bench after the fat Texas guy put the rebound in and <laughs> everyone on the bench. You see this picture? No. Really? It was all over Twitter, all these guys laying down on the floor. And a uh, couple interesting things. No teams from North Carolina in the Sweet 16 for the first time in our lifetimes. Really? This is 1979 was the last time North Carolina wasn't represented in the Sweet 16. Wow. Yeah, obviously, the biggest upset of the, the weekend had to be Duke, Duke losing in the first round. There was a real funny website created called diddukewin.com. And then you I clicked on it that. and it just said no. 
Right. Yeah. I, I. Which made me wonder: was it there before that day, or because <laughs> I, I know when? Uh, I think it was just people who hate Duke getting in on them, trolling when, them. When Scott Gomez got that big, massive contract, there was, and he didn't score for like the first thirty games. It was like a did Scott Gomez score thing, and it was always no until the one day it was yes. So. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, another thing is there's very few of the. Double-digit teams in the Sweet 16. I think there's only two that aren't in the power conferences. So this is going to be one of those years where, and I'm sure CBS is happy about this, where the big guys are going to be there till the end. Not Duke, obviously, or not any of the North Carolina teams, but big names like Louisville, the defending champs, or uh, all, all the number one seeds except for the undefeated number one seed coming into the tournament are still alive. Yeah, so I heard it asked before. Like, everyone loves the upsets in the first round. It seemed like there was more than ever this year. Is that good or bad for the tournament? Because is it going to stink now? Because you're going to have number ones just rolling over teams that probably shouldn't be around? Or? Well, I think the problem with the, the upsets is they're great early, but eventually those teams seem to run out of gas. Right. And then they, they you get a Elite Eight game where a big team beats an underdog team by 30 points. Right. So I think maybe it's going to be a better weekend this weekend. Maybe we're going to have some better matchups. But I feel bad for Wichita State. They went undefeated, and then they played the preseason number one in the second round. Yeah, they were the team that everyone said had, like, the terrible, like, yeah. totally unfair bracket. Yeah, and it played yeah. out. I mean, they played it. They, they didn't play poorly. Right. They played an epic game against a good team and just barely lost. So. And Syracuse lost, which was big here. Syracuse did lose, and... Uh, they had a look at a three. That couldn't have been all that surprising, though. I mean, the way they played right, they, going they, into the tournament. And it was offense. They yeah. couldn't make shots. And they were 0 for 10, I think, from three in the in the, in the the last game. So. I think I could go better than 0 for 10. I mean, maybe not with someone jumping in my face. but the, the, Tyler Ennis had a real good look at a three at the buzzer, which I guess basketball people say was a bad shot that he should have Taken the passed, over, it, the passed it inside to yeah. a guy because he only needed the two. Right. But, uh. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see how the tournament progresses, and we'll talk more about it with Will Leach when we have him on later. All right. Our, well, my second thing this week, I just got a few different actual NFL things. Uh, one kind of a cool thing the NFL is doing, uh, they're going to make it where, I don't know if illegal is the term, but they're going to ban teams from getting money from their fans for playoff tickets unless the team has actually clinched a home playoff game. I like it. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Uh, the NFL is such a money-hungry league, and they're billionaires. They don't need to be scraping money out from the fans. And I don't know. I mean, who do they think they are? It's like uh, I know the hockey leagues do that still. I don't know about the NBA or baseball, but that's like you're giving them an interest-free loan by doing and that. And that's exactly what they're trying to create, too, yeah. especially the bubble teams. Right. So, uh, yeah, so that's cool that the NFL has changed their mind on that. The other thing I had was Mark Cuban has been in the news for what he said about the NFL and that in 10 years, it's 10 years away from his word, an implosion. So I guess I'll ask you, one, is he right? And if he is, what replaces it? I'm going to have to say maybe, and we have always, we've mentioned this a few times on the show, that if you look back 100 years, the three biggest sports in the country were boxing, horse racing, and baseball. Right. And the only one that really is relevant at all, other than on extremely special days, is baseball. 
Right. I mean, boxing can have its occasional night once or twice a year when two specific fighters get in the ring that will draw the sport out a bit. And horse racing, those four days sure, right. or three days three, during triple crown, the Triple right. Crown is still relevant. But So I think it could happen, but the problem with what Mark Cuban's saying is I don't even think he necessarily believes it. I think he's trying to stir the pot a little bit. Because Maybe. I, I yeah. think the business of it is that over the next ten years, the, the NFL is projected to like quadruple revenues. Right, and his his thought. I see what he's saying, but his he had one thought, and I I've heard another one that makes sense to me too. His, his uh, the overlying theme of what he was saying was that uh, they're going to be oversaturated because now they're going to more Thursday night games, and they're on four nights a week. And he kind of compared it to when. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was the biggest show in the world, and then they went to Five Nights, and it kind of saturated the market a little bit, and people lost interest. And I don't know how much I agree with that. He he's he's basically saying that there's a bubble, like you can you can only stretch so thin, and uh, eventually people will lose interest, and you can you got to stop gouging at people for money. I don't know that I'd be worried about that as much as I'd be worried about the CTE studies and. That type of thing. Ten years from now, they're going to need to replace the players in the league with new players. And I only have a little girl right now, so she's not going to be playing in the NFL. But if I had a little boy right now, I would probably be doing anything to steer him away from football. Uh, I know hockey can be dangerous, but you hear the outlying cases of a guy that gets cut with a skate. or They've got their concussion problems, too. But Fighters, especially. And your right. kid doesn't have to be a fighter. No. Right. It's nothing like what goes on in football and I mean maybe you get a kid to play basketball and I think that's the sport to me that I'm not a fan obviously of basketball but if there was a sport to take it over I think it's basketball because it's an easy sport to play so kids are always going to play it all you need is a ball and a playground so it's an easy sport to play uh there's tons of homegrown talent I'm not sure if that hurts the NHL but it can't help that a good I don't know 25 percent of the stars are from different countries um, but yeah, I'd be worried about CTE football's got it. My, my thought though, to my first question is I don't think he is right. I s- still think the NFL will be just as strong, if not stronger, but it might be a real different looking NFL. Like he might be right about that. Like they're going to have to do something about the head injuries and it's just a little far fetched and he knows it to compare oh, yeah, the yeah. NFL to a quiz show. Yes. Well, yeah, I heard somebody say they don't they don't have fantasy. Who wants to be a millionaire leagues? I and mean, they don't bet on it in Vegas and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's I I see where he's coming from, but I don't I'm not I can't quite get all the way there with him. All right, my number two thing today is in the hype of the NCAA basketball tournament. Don't forget this weekend that the NCAA hockey tournament begins with unprecedented coverage by ESPN across their networks. Four number one seeds this year are Minnesota is the number one seed overall in the tournament. They were the number two seed overall in the tournament last year and lost in the first round in overtime. TL. And uh, <laughs> the uh, number two seed is Boston College overall. They're another number Are they one. ever not, like, really, really good? Very, <laughs> very rare. When have they won it last? Just a few years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, the uh, number three seed is Union who is from the ECAC, and they're actually the number one team in the polls this week for the first time ever. So congratulations to Union Hockey for being... They were very good last year, too, weren't they? 
They've won three straight ECAC conference tournament titles. Uh, and they beat BC in the tournament last, last year, year. Yeah. before losing to Quinnipiac for the right to go to the Frozen Four. The ECAC last year only lost to each other in the tournament. So the only losses ECAC had was Quinnipiac beating Union and Yale beating Quinnipiac. Right. Otherwise, they, they ran it last year. Uh, three ECAC... Oh, the fourth... Fourth number one seed is Wisconsin, I believe. Champions of the Big Ten, the new Big Ten. That's we, right. We played that clip right. off the top. And uh, Colgate is the uh, Colgate and Quinnipiac are the three ECAC. Colbeck, Colgate, Quinnipiac, and Union are the three teams from the ECAC. There's tons of schools that are known for hockey in the tournament. You know, Minnesota, Boston College. Uh, Michigan is not in the tournament again after going 23 years in a row. They miss it two years in a row. Wow. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, but it, it, it should be a good tournament, and um, there's unprecedented coverage across the networks. You can see every game. Uh, no one from Buffalo in the tournament this year, although man, a lot of Sabres. <laughs> right, Baptiste? Oh, uh, I was saying uh, from, there's, there's prospects. For right, sure. right, 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 right. Uh, but no one born you know, in Buffalo. Wisconsin has one. Oh, there's players... Is there a player born in? Well, Zanger Lee's from Rochester. Oh, you're saying like Niagara's not Niagara going. and Kanisha's aren't going. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, in their tournament this weekend, they had uh, Niagara and Kanisha's both won overtime games to get to Rochester for the Final Four of their tournament. And then Kanisha's had a win in double overtime to get to the final. No, Niagara won. I think how this let me, let me, let me make this <laughs> make sense. This is Niagara <laughs> lost. Niagara lost in double overtime to the semifinalist. Okay. Canisius won in double overtime in the semifinals, and then Niagara lost, or Canisius lost in regulation to the team that beat Niagara in overtime. Robert Morris. They're the 16 seed. Yeah. This. I mean, not that. So they tried. They battled the NCAA tournament. Uh, hockey tournament will further prove what uh, I can't remember the guy's name now that tweeted me and said it should be done like football and hockey because I would almost guarantee I watch at least some of those games to see the Sabres prospect like where does Baptiste play or he might play for Michigan right yeah well no that's uh, Compier oh okay uh, McBain is Wisconsin Sabres prospect that's right the Comfer kid was the kid I was thinking of right yeah and he's uh, at Michigan okay he's he's done yeah yeah but yeah, I'll be wa- I'll be watching for the for the prospects. Are there any draft kids coming up? Oh yeah, absolutely. Be but I mean, none of the big big names. They're, they're all junior players, right? Right. Yeah. Reinhardt. And- the big guy. The big. You know, there's a lot of there's been all this talk about Connor McDavid, and now there's this talk that there's a U.S. kid playing on the under 18 team that could be drafted ahead of him. Really? It's kind of hyperbole. In right. A way, right. But Just- he's supposedly going to be at BU next year unless he decides to go to major junior instead. All right, now that we've born, bored everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my last thing, like you, we said off the top, Ralph Wilson uh, dies at 95 years old at home with his family, supposedly went peacefully. So, I mean, if you got to go, living to be 95, he seemed like he had most of his faculties. and Nobody wouldn't sign up for 95 right now. No, and going at home in your bed with your family, like seems pretty good. Uh, obviously... Bills fans here are as connected to their team as anyone, and the first thought is now what? What happens now? Uh, 
and the added sadness, or I don't know if you want to say sadness yet, that makes it sound grim, but Jim Kelly's also in a New York hospital because he would be the guy that everyone would be asking questions to today because he supposedly has a group of uh, investors in place to to buy this team to make sure it stays in Buffalo. So it's very dicey in Buffalo right now. I, I People don't mean to be insensitive about the owner. Uh, and actually, you know, people aren't being. I mean, if you turn on sports radio right no, now, sure. hundreds of callers sharing stories of the owner's generosity. Oh, right, yeah, and I would say, if anything... The but fact it is people, in the back of everyone's right, mind. Right, and the fact that they care so much maybe is a testament to the, the gift that he gave the area. So uh, it's a sad day. It's not a surprising day, but it is a shocking day. I think we said it earlier, and uh, I guess our... Thoughts go out to his family. Yeah, and and I think that we were saying it's certainly not surprising in the sense that he's 95. It's far from a tragedy. But it is shocking because Ralph Wilson died. Right, and we still have just as many questions about what would ha- what will happen after that happens. And, and the real sadness, as you right. said, is Jim Kelly. And there's the heartbreaking picture sure. that was circulating of him and his daughter laying in the hospital bed right, watching right. the basketball game together. And I'm worried more about, about Jim because he just, it just sounds scary. Anytime you're dealing with cancer and you get the great news. Right. And then it's followed by right. like the bad news and the word aggressive is used and... They're rushing into surgery and things like that. It just gets scary. So I'm thinking about Jim Kelly and Ralph Wilson. He had a great run. And Bills fans, calm down. It's going to take a long time to sort out the kind of estate that Ralph Wilson is leaving behind. Bills are fine for right now. Nothing's going to happen all that quickly or swiftly. And every effort is going to be made to keep the Bills here. And I think the person in Buffalo that people are going to turn to and want to talk to and, and see what he's thinking is Terry Pagula now. Sure. Because he's got to emerge as the potential white knight, right? He's the guy who's got the wherewithal and the money to be a part of this if he wants to. You would think so. And I, I've i always kind of said the only reason not to own a football team is because you can't afford to own a football team. It seems like it's printing money. But I guess maybe right now you'd be buying high on any team. I, I don't know. It's the whole thing Cuban talked about, like when does this bubble burst for football? But yeah, uh, definitely people are gonna. This will be the story in Buffalo until it is resolved. Yeah. So well, rest in peace, Ralph Wilson, and and best to you, Jim Kelly. We're gonna take a break and come back with Jane Levy. Our first guest is from Long Island, New York. She did her undergraduate studies at Barnard College before earning her master's degree at the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. Early in her career, she was a staff writer at Women's Sports and Self Magazines. She then went on to be a staff writer at the Washington Post from 1979 to 1988. She has published in the New York Times, Newsweek, Sports Illustrated, and the New York Daily News. Her comic novels... Please Play was hailed by Entertainment Weekly as the best novel ever written about baseball. She is the author of the New York Times bestselling Sandy Koufax, Lefty's Legacy, and The Last Boy, Mickey Mantle, and the End of America's Childhood. Today she's making her fifth appearance on the Sportscasters. 
Warm Sportscasters. Welcome to the Distinguished Jane Levy. How you do- <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. How are you? <laughs> just, we just talked about how I had a perfect record of not screwing up your name until right then. You just I did. did. What right can then. I say? I'm hanging up. <laughs> Her name is Jane Levy. I'm very sorry about that. Thank you very much it's for joining no us. No problem. Show. Your dog was very, very excited about your bio. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and approving. Right, very approving and loving of it. So thank you to both for being on the show today. We always love classing up the place when you make an appearance. And it's been a bit. It's You were on five times, but they're kind of all almost squeezed together in like a little bit of this time where you're probably like, why does this guy keep calling me? And then, no, 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 no. I like that you keep calling me. <laughs> we, we love having you on. And, you know, I was telling someone about this just the other day. I was reading on a message board, and I don't know which one it was, but I was reading about the thread was about you for some reason, and I don't know how I came across it. It might have just simply been a, a thread about uh, your la- the last boy, and uh, for some reason I had stumbled across it and was reading about it, and I was going through it, sort of reading some people's posts and ignoring others, as you have to do on the Internet. And someone had mentioned uh, the promotion for it and how they had really enjoyed certain things and then the next person said i've enjoyed her increased presence but have been real annoyed how all the interviews seem to not be able to get past her role as a a woman in sports journalism and just get stuck in that a little bit too much and then the next post said have you ever heard her appearances on the sportscasters because they have avoided that somehow. And first of all, I had no idea th- that anyone here would know who we were for any reason. Uh, and I, I was thinking about asking you, so in your opinion, is that good for us? Or are, have we been ignoring that part of your role <laughs> um, <laughs> incorrectly? Or, geez, Steve, or, um, you know, it's one of those redundancies. I can't, it's, people always say, well, how is it to be a, a female sports writer? And the answer is, of course, I don't know how it could be anything else. Um, I, I, I have no clue uh, what it would be like to be a male sports writer. I can describe some of the male sports writers I know, but um, I, I certainly can't say how I would perform as a male sports writer. I will say that there are certain... Um, kinds of coverage that I did and you know people still do today that are really pretty much gender neutral. I mean, if you cover a baseball game, you know, a, a, a woman's account really shouldn't be very different from a man's account. If the score is different, we got a real problem. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, um, uh, I sometimes I used to laugh and say I'd like to put on uh, a, a byline that was different than Jane Levy just to see whether anybody could tell, you know, switch it with a male counterpart. Um, but um, it, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I, I long ago stopped thinking about the issue, so it's, um, it's not something that really matters to me. I will say that uh, I think there are certain times in my career where it's been an advantage um, as much as a disadvantage. I mean, people like to talk all the time, and there certainly are many episodes that have been well-documented about um, 
why and how female sports writers um, have been, you know, discriminated against and and been been kind of hassled in the locker room. But it's um, it's hard to know, um, you know, always how that balances out with the ways in which it's an advantage. And it's an advantage in the sense that I think guys tell girls uh, or women, I should say, um, things they don't necessarily tell other men. And, um, you know, maybe it's uh, you ask different questions sometimes. Um, I know that there are some men I've observed in a locker room whose intention in asking a question is as much to demonstrate what they know as it is to elicit what they want to know. So they may say to a, um, they may say to a guy, well, that was a slider that was supposed to be, you know, down and in, right? And the guy will look at him and say, no, it was, you know, a fastball. <laughs> it's like there's a sense that you, you get from some guys that they want to prove to whoever they're speaking to that they know as much as the subject uh, and a, uh, the subject, the interview subject, that is. And I don't think you ever see women doing that. I'm, I'm much more likely to have said, what was that pitch and why did it end up in center field? <laughs> it's a, it's a, um, it, it's a, just a different non-competitive way of demonstrating uh, the art of reporting. You know, it's been interesting for us as we've done this the last couple of years just because so many of these social issues in sports, maybe because of our age, we're not that young. I mean, my low 30s, I mean, young, but not that – I'm not 18 or whatever. But I, I just – I guess because of when I've grown up, it hasn't been unusual for people of different races or religions or sexes to – do all different things, and I grew up in the inner city, so I went to a very mixed school. All, all those things are very normal for me, so I guess I was just raised and just come for a place where it's just the last thing I think about, and that can be good for me, and it can also hurt me in a way, too, I think, because I, I don't know if you've seen the... Uh, I love 30 for 30, and, and this summer, the people who do that did some... I think they call them 9 for 9, like nine films for title nine i don't know how many of them you might have saw on espn and i i confess i was away and i didn't see very much television over the yeah, summer some, but i know they do a terrific job yeah they do an incredible job and it, some of them were a disappointment to me because I, I just thought some of them were incredible and then some of them i guess i just didn't i don't know i, I guess i'm like i guess i just kept thinking this is still an issue and i guess i'm probably naive and it is still an issue so i was probably the one who was lost but sometimes I, I think maybe some of the gatekeepers who tend to be obviously have earned that position over the the time maybe are somewhat guilty of not adjusting in a sense too so i, I don't know where there's a balance there um uh, you know i think that um what you are seeing in the, the um uh Unfortunately, in the media is that there's been so much attrition in terms of jobs because of loss of newspaper inches and loss of newspapers, period, that you, um, you know, they tend to buy out Deadwood or, you know, lay off the people who are um, uh, the uh, newest. 
and often the newest reporters are minorities and women. Um, and so I think in, in a funny way, um, it's, uh, the, 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 the press has become, the sporting press, I should say, has become more male again, um, than it had been. But, um, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I think sexism is still there. I think it's going to take a long time to, um, un, un, undo it all. Um, but, um, uh, I don't spend every waking hour thinking about it. Let's put it that way. I was thinking of you recently because I remember one time we had you on and we were talking about The Last Boy and kind of like the idea of writing this book about the guy that was your guy growing up, the the guy that maybe drew you to the game, that your favorite player. And, and then I was thinking about that because a whole generation of people's guy is going to go through his last season here. Like Derek Jeter is the Yankees have this incredible progression of those guys, right? Like you can trace it back and start with Ruth and Garrick, DiMaggio and Mansell and, you know, Mattingly in the eighties and maybe Reggie Jackson in the seventies or whatever. And Jeter is like this next guy in that ascension. And he's getting to be, He's, he's preparing to play his last season, and I just wonder if you've thought at all about you have had this experience you know, of writing about your guy. Are you going to be thinking about everyone and how their experience is going to be this summer, watching their guy play their last, his last year? And, and maybe even some people went through it last year if maybe Rivera was their guy as opposed to Jeter. Um, I, I think that uh, the Yankees do um, ceremony and uh, hoopla extremely well, and um, uh, they'll probably be the same kind of um, you know uh, trips around the league. Though I, I think that uh, that Mo was probably going to be um, more unanimous. He's I mean, you know, Jeter is not revered in Boston. Let's put it that way, right. and and uh, and Rivera was. Um, I I think um, uh, I mean I, I think that the Yankees have had that many um, notable retirements because they've had obviously that many notable players, and because they're so conscious of legacy and history and what it means to be a Yankee. Um, uh, you know, um, but it bears remembering that when Babe Ruth retired, they held a day um, for him in April, all through baseball, April 1947. They forgot to retire his uniform and had to do it all over again the following June. Um, I, um, I, I think that what's interesting about, you know, Jeter's retirement is that the extent to which um, he has controlled it, and that's so unusual. Um, typical for him, I think, but but um, uh, unusual for most athletes who don't have the luxury either because of money or intelligence or whatever, of or, or just of injury, um, to declare when, where, and how um, that they're going to exit the stage. Um, and Jeter has... You know, it's easy. He, you know, I, I keep asking people what they know about this publishing uh, imprint that he's doing. I mean, that what an extraordinary thing to hear 
that in this day and age, a modern athlete wants to be engaged in words, specifically a guy who spent so many, you know, uh, days in a locker room talking without saying anything. Right. <laughs> so He's mastered that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it, it's so interesting. I, I think about the Yankees and how they can be, obviously, they're, they're the team that you either love a lot or hate a lot. There's not too many people who fall in between. And last summer, you mentioned how revered Rivera is and how unanimously he's just considered the greatest of all time at what he did in the game. I think that's sort of part of it. And everyone was able to kind of put aside at least one day of the season for each particular team, their kind of hate of the Yankees to show the respect to Rivera. And I wonder if they're going to be able to stomach it another time around for Jeter. Cause I know teams are going to want to make a note, you know, like the last time Jeter goes to Baltimore, let's just say uh, the, the Orioles are going to want to acknowledge that. And they're going to, there's going to be gifts again. All that's going to happen again. I just wonder if the well, I, I don't reaction think will the, be the same. I don't, I don't think he's as universally revered in, in other cities as, um, you know, as Rivera was, you know, there's a lot more debate about, how good a defensive player um, he was, and um, certainly there's no debate about it now. His, his range is almost negligible, and God knows whether he's going to be able to do anything at all this year. Um, I, I, I hope so, because I'd hate to see him go out, um, you know, uh, looking pathetic. But on the other hand, um, you know, Bill Bradley, the great basketball player for the New York Knicks, um, made a point of wanting to play long enough to understand that there was nothing left in the tank and um, not in order not to be tempted to go back again and again and again, as so many athletes do. Um, so I, um, it, it plays different, differently for each, for each player. I just, I just hope he, you know, that, that it, I broke my ankle exactly the same way Derek Jeter did and I still walk funny. And um, now I'm twice his age. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm once and a half his age. But um, you know, that's a brutal injury. And um, I, I, I can't imagine the stress on that ankle in the infield. It's just got to be really tough. My brother was at Yankee Stadium that night, and he said he doesn't know he's ever been anywhere as quiet. Just yeah. Well, they yeah. said that too about uh, when Mickey Mantle fell. Um, right racing the, down the, the first baseline um, in May uh, 1962. I was there that night, and I thought the same thing. It is an amazing thing to hear, and that may not be the right word, but to hear that kind of quiet right. um, and to hear that that quiet so suddenly. Um, but um, it's it's uh, it was awful to see. I mean, it's really awful to see. You don't like to see a great player compromise like that, but. On the other hand, it's amazing, you know, that age, age 39, um, uh, that he was playing at the level he was, frankly. So, um, as a quick contrast to that, do you, what is the Jeter moment to you? Like, what there's a, there's a lot that we could throw out, but what is the Jeter moment to you? Um, oh, it's got to be that play against the Oakland A's when he ran yeah. down to beat Jeremy Giambi to the plate. Yeah, I think that what's unique about that one is that nobody else ever would really think to make that play. Like that's kind of what's unique about him. I don't know if there's 
it's stupid to say no one else. There might have been someone else who might have had the foresight. But like as a, his other big defensive play that everyone remembers is the regular season one where he ran into the the third base side against the Red Sox and came out bloody. We see that a lot, but we don't see the the, the Oakland play. I, I can't think of anything even similar to it. Yeah, and then of course you know with him it's also um, that in, the inside out swing and when when he was. And what was always notable was when he decided, you know, every once in a while, you know, no, I'm not going to just go with a pitch, and um, I'm 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 going to try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And sometimes he really did. Yeah, Mr. November, right? <laughs> yep, Mr. November. That's right. So, yeah, I'm I'm interested. I, I mean, I I'm I'm maybe one of these unique people who mentioned earlier didn't that I mentioned earlier didn't exist. I don't hate or love the Yankees. I, I I think I my opinion of them is always that I want them to be baseball's always better with them. I always want them to be good and part of it and last year I felt like baseball suffered and with the Red Sox being as good I wanted so much for I wanted so badly for the Yankees to be better just because that is so appealing when those two teams are good at the same time. But Derek Jeter is just so universally, oh, scooter, stop it. Sorry, <laughs> it's all right. I was just thinking that he's so universally easy to be respected, as opposed, in contrast, to the other huge named athlete that's been on the team uh, right next to him at third base in Rodriguez. This an unbelievable parallel, so close to each other in terms of respect and what history will bear. Well, you out mean opposite? Those. Yeah, yeah, the opposite. Exactly. Um, yes. Um... Uh, it's noteworthy. And if you read, the, there was a book a couple of years back about um, Jeter, and I'm double clutching here because I can't remember the name. Uh, Ian O'Connor wrote it, and it was yep. a really nice book. And it was, you know, set to basically, you know, be published around the time of his 3000th hit. Um, you know, and somewhere deep inside of it, 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 it quotes Jeter. Um, I think second hand, but at expressing astonishment at a Rod's inability to grasp the basics of how to function uh, in the modern media world, and just to say, you know, to control it by saying what you want to say and nothing else, but always to be available to say no, like the most vanilla thing possible. Um, you know, you always get the, I always get the sense with Jeter that there's a lot of smarts there that you'd really like to know what he's thinking, um, and and you can't because he's always been so careful to um, keep those thoughts largely to himself. Yeah, that book that you mentioned was uh, the Captain. It was called right. The, the Captain. Journey of Thank Derek you. You know, kind of. I looked it up. I didn't know it off the top of my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I did have the. But I did have the writer right, correct? You did have the right writer, and you, I, we uh, we featured that book on our show, so I knew exactly what you were talking about when you when you mentioned it. Um, like your book, we, we featured that one as well one time. But, I, I mean, I think you know the Yankees. I've asked a lot of people this, um, and it's very. I never get a good answer, and I don't have one myself, but. You know, looking back, the Yankees had this, the core four. And, um, you, you know, general managers today have to manage forward in terms of, um, knowing how players are going to, uh, age and how that is going to play out in terms of both salary and salary demands 
and in terms of um, the way bodies and break down and 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 production decreases. And you know what choice did they have? <laughs> How could they have avoided having all four of them age at the same time? You know the guys get to be so big at some point. You know you can't you can't trade them away. And I think there are times that clubs get stuck, and I'm not saying that it was true of Mo or uh, or Jeter, but there are times when you know guys clog up the the the. Um, the lineup because they've gotten too old and you really would like to have somebody younger and newer in there, but you don't have them. Um, and you can't, you can't get rid of them without alienating the fans. And after all, it's all about money anyway. So, um, you know, I, you can't, you can't, um, anger your fan base that much. You can't, it would have been, you know, if, if Brian Cashman had made a preemptive, I'm going to trade one of the core four back in the day, you know, um, so that we don't have this aging roster all at once. You know, he would have. There would have been hell to pay. Absolutely, we have this. We have this sheet here where I have your name, and I read that bio, and I usually put people's Twitter. And in, for, in your spot, I have I have Jane hates Twitter. <laughs> Still true. <laughs> yeah, just... Jane hates Twitter. Much to many people's, uh, my agent and publisher, they wish I felt differently. But I, I think it's. Um, I think there's only three things that are worth saying um, in a Twitter, uh, in a tweet. Excuse me. You know, uh, one is the war is over. With the other is the war has begun, and the other is um, ten fingers, ten toes. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So Jane still, I can I can change that to Jane still hates Twitter. I can add, Jane still hates Twitter. I can edit that. Uh, before I let you go, what what's new with you? Because we haven't talked in so long. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah. I'm, well, you know, I'm what, I'm what's I'm, in the works? I'm committing Harry Carey. Um, uh, uh, I'm basically um, taking on. A project of writing about Babe Ruth, and um, I'm not sure. I, I think maybe you should shoot me right now because um, <laughs> that makes look, writing about Koufax and Mantle look like you know, like nothing. <laughs> I mean, with the Babe, everybody's dead, and a whole lot of really, really good people have written about him. Um, but um, that's what I'm trying to do. And, and anybody who has any great untold Babe Ruth stories locked up in the vault, they should please contact me, which they can do at uh, the website. Um, and uh, I have email is Jane Levy, Jane dot at I'm particularly interested in uh, some of his barnstorming in the, in 27 and, um, you know, the sort of apotheosis after he hit the 60th home run. In on September thirtieth, nineteen twenty-seven. We just spoke to. A, do you know who Ed Sherman is? He's a longtime newspaper guy from Chicago. He just wrote a book about the called shot. Oh yeah, yeah, I know he did. And um, um, we had just, we, I just interviewed him. I think, I think it was last week. It was either last week or the week before about it. And he mentioned some of the same difficulties as far as people not being alive. But you guys should probably talk because he. Uh, he, yeah, it's really hard to interview people who are dead. Yeah, that's yeah. I but I have found some, you know, some people, some folks still living, and 
it's a race against time to get to them um, before too much more time passes if they're if they're around at all. So um, uh, you know, so this will be um, by definition require more archival um, research. But I, it, but there's also always family lore. There are also stories that are always passed down, and that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. Are we talking 2015 or? Oh gosh! Yeah, no, not that quick. <laughs> I hope so. You hope so. I hope. I. I hope no. No. Realistically, no. 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 What am I saying? It's I forgot be... what year it is. No. <laughs> so 2016. Maybe let's hope 2016. All right. Well, we will be hoping, and we will be hopefully checking in occasionally with you because we always love having you on, and we always appreciate it so much. Such a grand respect here for you and everything that you've done. So thank you so much for being on today. And uh, do you want to give all that stuff out again one more time, just in case? Sure. It's yeah. um, my email address is Jane dot Levy. That's L E A V Y at me, which I hate me dot com. If anybody wants to tell me how to change it to at iCloud dot com, I'd be very happy to to switch it. <laughs> Jane, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Steve. Be well. All right. I want to thank Jane Levy for making a return appearance on the podcast today. I always appreciate it when Jane comes and classes up the place. Uh, book club update for today. Um, like I said last week, we closed out with Ed Sherman and did a great interview about his book, uh, The Called Shot. And you can find that on our podcast last week if you're still interested in Ed's book. Uh, we're going to focus for at least another week or two on Jeff Perlman's book, Showtime, Magic Cream, Riley, and Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s. For the second time, it's a New York Times bestseller for the second week in a row, I should say. And I noticed Jeff tweeted a picture yesterday of Michelle Beadle uh, had posted that she had uh, bought a copy of the book and was getting ready to read it. So the, the reception has been great. Like I said, I just hope that by the time we have Jeff on, there's still a question that hasn't been asked about the book. And of course, uh, as we finish with Jeff, we're going to transition into Jonah Carey month. Uh, Jonah Carey, a longtime member of the Czech Republic, and you could see by the reaction on Twitter today, everyone's very excited for him as his book, Up, Up, and Away, about the Montreal Expos, was released. That's going to be our next book club book of the month. So we've got two guys who we like a lot with books that are out, and they're going to be a part of the book club for the next couple of weeks. Jeff Perlman, who maybe we'll get on next week as we finish out the month, and Jonah Carey. We're going to take a break and come back with Will Leach. Our next guest is from Illinois and is a graduate of the University of Illinois. He was one of the founding editors of Deadspin, is the author of many sports books, currently writes for Sports on Earth, and just spent a weekend in the beautiful city of Buffalo, New York. For the second time, he's appearing on the Sportscast. It's a warm welcome to Will Leach. What's up, Will? Hey, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. So, okay, I probably didn't say your state name right. Because no one in Buffalo says this state right. Because I said Illinois, but it's 
No, that's right. It's, a, right. it's Illinois. Right. The, okay. uh, the, uh, the, you don't say the yes. It's just right. Illinois. So I was very careful about that. But I think yeah, you did people, right. You did right. Here, people, I would have stopped you, I assure you. Okay, yeah, people in Western New wrong. York do always say Illinois. Well, those people, well, they, they like many things. Uh, people in New York are on the wrong side of America. <laughs> so I was just kind of talking to you. So what did you think of uh, your time here in Buffalo this weekend covering the NCAA tournament? That's why you were here. You didn't come for like uh, – Chicken wings, I guess. Well, no, but you know, it's funny because my, you know, my wife's uh, dad uh, lives in Buffalo, and so do most of her brothers and sisters. Uh, there's a Eastman Machine Company. It's a company uh, yeah. I actually I just saw their offices for the first time. Her dad is uh, the guy that runs that place, oh, so okay. it's been in her, her family for like years and years. So, so uh, and her brother works there, and uh, she's got plenty of family around there. So, so uh, it's funny. Uh, we were looking for an excuse. Uh, her sister had a new kid, so we were looking for an excuse to go see. Then anyway, now that we're in Athens, and so once I saw the tourney pairings, because I usually go cover one of the eight uh, regions the first weekend, and uh, we saw Buffalo. It worked out perfect. I, I'm very fond of the city, uh, to be honest. I, I know that uh, uh, I, obviously I, I know people that uh, it, it, people like to make fun of it. I think mostly because they they uh, they haven't really been there in a while. Right. But I, I feel like it's a, it's it's a. I really enjoyed being there. I love all the building this building that's going downtown and one of the things i like about you know when you think of cities that have struggled over the last uh, couple of decades a lot of the major issues are, are that they don't have like good infrastructure they don't have a, an actual city there buffalo has an actual city there now they've had some economic issues that have detracted from that but but if buffalo can get back going like it's a beautiful city it's a well-designed city uh you need to fix some of the one ways downtown yeah but uh but other than that uh, i really feel like it's uh, the, the some of the has some of those beautiful abandoned homes I, I i've ever seen and so i feel like buffalo is you know the, i know that her family loves it and i always love being there uh certainly i will confess that uh you know i lived in new york city for 13 and a half years and was doing great and then I moved to Athens, Georgia, for six months, and totally became a wimp about cold, which I'm very ashamed of. But uh, I really enjoy Buffalo, and I, I I always enjoy my time there. And people give, you know, people forget they don't give us the uh, necessary pass for the fact that one of the biggest crooks in the history of the United States of America set the city back 15 years. The Adelphia guys, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. they were. You know, they came in very similar to Terry Pagula is right now, promising to build and do the same things, and instead they all went to prison. Yeah, and it's a you weird I mean? kind of so, it's a, it, yeah, you're right, and it's it's also a weird sort of compulsion that I don't I don't understand why this is, but for some reason people seem to like to pile on American cities that are having trouble. I don't understand why. Like like I know that we're kind of strangely territorial about our places, but. You know, I mean, I I I, uh, I grew up. You know, I'm in, I'm from the part of Illinois. Illinois is basically um, Nebraska with Chicago on the top. <laughs> so um, um, I'm from the I'm from the the Nebraska part, and so Chicago is not a city that I like have like particular like particular kinship with. But I mean, I want it to do well. I mean, the idea that I would want people it's weird like. People like see Buffalo or Detroit or Cleveland struggling. And they like to like make fun of it or something, as opposed to like this. You know, I mean, America is better off when Buffalo and Cleveland and Detroit are doing well. And I find it, uh, uh, frankly, a weird sort of American obnoxiousness uh, when people want to, uh, as opposed to uh, wanting to help out, uh, tend to just want to make fun of it. President is the same. Another example of that. Like I, I could never understand why, even if you didn't vote for the incoming president, why you don't instantly hope he's the best president ever. Well, I feel like that's just that's just people being, you know, asses for political reasons. You know, I feel right. like like uh, But uh, that's like a mistake I'd love to make. If I if I vote for the wrong guy, like I, I wanna be like, Oh man, I was dumb, but 
good thing that guy he was awesome. Yeah, it's funny, you know. I was I remember, you know, I I remember what was it? it was in two thousand six or two thousand seven? I did not vote for George W. Bush. I did not think he was a good president, and I'm really glad he's not president anymore. Uh, that right. said, there was a thing. I think he was in Iraq or he was in a Middle Eastern country, and someone threw a shoe at him. Yep, and I was appalled. Like, in, in, I was absolutely appalled by the number of people who were like, yeah, it's what that warmonger gets. I'm like, really? That's the president of the United States right there. The, what, this is actually your country. You know, I mean, like, like that's – it's not good for us when people are throwing shoes at the president of the United States whether or not you voted for him or not. And that that really drives me crazy in, in like, a lot of ways no matter what side you're on. You know, I feel like uh, if you if you are I, – I feel like the level of self-importance you have to have – to uh, to think that uh, uh, that the president of the United States, no matter what party there is, is somehow uh, an asshole or, or someone that's trying to hurt the country just because you didn't vote for him. I mean, uh, uh, I kind of feel like people need to get over themselves a little bit. My brother plays hockey at Yale, and uh, they were just invited to the White House a couple of Mondays ago because uh, they won the national championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, he was telling me that, unlike, well, we knew this, but football and basketball are the only college teams that go kind of on their own, you know, like the pro teams. So there was his team and then like 20 other teams that had won in various NCAA sports. And um, one of the things he observed there is that when the president walked into the room to take the picture of, I don't remember exactly what team, so I won't say because I don't want to say the wrong team and like make these kids sound like idiots. But one of the teams, he, he said he noticed that they walked in and the president was shaking the kids in the front row's hands, and they didn't stand up. Yeah, well, that's, that may that may that may just be be these wayward youths. Yep. So <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I mean, so, I, I just but, I just I, listen. I, I you know I'm I'm I'll confess. Like you know I we live in a world now where is where the almost the defining feature of our time is the uh, crumbling of and the loss of faith in institutions. So I I, I and I think a lot, I think that's good. I think that's generally good. For the culture, I think it needs to be a bit of a cleansing that way. But I'll confess, uh, I also am a fan of, uh, uh, of of decorum. I guess would be the best way to put it. And I don't, listen. If I didn't, as I said, like you know, there are several presidents during my lifetime that I uh, I, I can't imagine. Uh, I'm I just am appalled that they were president of the United States. But the idea that I would be in the room with them and not shake their hand and show them the respect that I, I think their office deserves, uh, I think uh, speaks speaks poorly of people. Then so, now I sound like an eighty-year-old man. But <laughs> so, what about covering the uh, NCAA basketball tournament? It's kind of a unique event in the sense that they do their best, maybe to the tournament's detriment, to try to get people into the building. And I've been surprised. I think that that's the fourth time that it's been in the new, you know, in the HSBC Arena and now the First Niagara Center. And I think the first time this year is even still the Marine Midland Arena. How well the event, generally speaking, does in terms of attendance. They always say it's sold out to whatever that means. And I know you know, I, I noticed at the Frozen Four last year that even though all the tickets are sold, uh, there there's the certain sections that are for the specific teams that when they lose, those sections end up looking really thin at times or when those teams aren't playing. But what about this tournament and uh, kind of the way you observed it here and it, maybe in past years covering it and the way it's different or similar to events of its stature? Well, you know, it's always a crapshoot um, anytime you – you pick a venue, venue <clears throat> excuse me, a venue without knowing who's going to be playing there, and so uh, 
for me, you know, though to be fair, once you realized Syracuse was going to be in the top 16, you knew they were going to be there. So uh, there was one, which I think can hurt uh, a little bit, at least for the casual fan. Uh, but, you know, I know why they do that. I know that Syracuse is a two-hour drive away. Of course, you're going to want to have teams play. I remember when, when my and I made the Final Four that year, they played in Indianapolis, Chicago, and St. Louis. I mean, they had, like, the easiest route there. So I understand why they do that. Um, it's I, I'll say that, like, it, I feel like it's a little bit more fun uh, to go to these things now. Uh, the first one, I, I've been to three opening weekends of the tournament. Uh, this year in Buffalo, last year in Philadelphia, and then in college uh, when Illinois uh, made the tournament. They actually played in Albany, uh, and I went. They, they lost to uh, Tulsa, if memory serves. And uh, I, I find the experience of the first weekend of the tournament is so fun that in the past, I feel like it was almost limiting just to be in one place because there's just so much. Right. Like if you're stuck with a dog game, there could be all these great things going on around you. But I feel like, frankly, that now that um, the the now the web in arenas in the, is getting better, <laughs> and we can stream everything on our phones, uh, and you know, I, I feel like that's uh, a major improvement. And so, to me, you know, I thought they did a good job. I still do not understand why they don't sell beer. At these events, I literally I do not understand why that is. Uh, for crying out loud, uh, um, you know the the average college student now is actually at the age of twenty one. I mean, the idea I'm not sure uh, uh, what that's supposed to be. Now it's but, only uh, like like I'm sorry to cut you off, but no. with the beer thing, so they didn't serve it at the Frozen Four, but my brother's team played Harvard at the Garden for yeah. this like kind of hyped up essentially exhibition non conference game, and they sold beer there. Yeah, a so lot of it has to do – it depends on whether the NCAA or the particular conference uh, makes this. The Big Ten tournament, which I've been to the last few years in Indianapolis, they do not sell beer there. But, yeah, every time I've went to go see Illinois play at the Garden or I've, I've seen it I, uh, they, at the Atlantic Ten tournament, they did not sell beer uh, at, at Barclays. It's, it really just depends on the league and it depends on how much control the NCAA has over it. Uh, to me, I think that's you know the next in a very long line of hypocritical things yeah, that the NCAA does on a regular basis. But uh, just the idea that you know, I mean, the 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 notion that uh, that that somehow the NCAA is above alcohol, I think, is pretty insane. So uh, so I think that does, frankly, you know, I mean, it's funny. I I uh, not to sound like a drunk or anything, but I do feel like. Part of the fun of sitting and watching, you know, all these games, particularly games that you don't necessarily have a investment in, uh, is being able to have a beer and, and talk to your friends and talk or talk to your dad or, to, or talk to whoever you're with. You it's know, kind of Americana in a way. Yeah, it yeah. seems very silly not to not to do that. You know, it's uh, it was funny. You know, I was in Sochi for the Olympics and uh, Putin. Putin's got a little bit of Bloomberg in him. He's very much about the health of the Russian people. It was very difficult to find. I don't smoke. I quit smoking a couple of years ago, but. Uh, it was very difficult for people to find places to smoke. There was no uh, beer sold in indoor venues, which meant for quite a lot, there were people that were watching 13 hours of curling and were unable to drink during it, <laughs> which just seems cruel. So, yeah, you know, I feel like, uh, um, you know, I, I feel like that does, to be honest, uh, devalue the experience a little bit. I know that that may sound silly, but I do think there's something to the fact that, I mean, you know, I had I, I met a friend of mine that what goes with his dad every year to when they're, every year they're in Buffalo. He lives in his dad lives in Buffalo. He lives in New York. And they always go every year, and we met at halftime. And of course, everybody was crammed into the bars, uh, every nearby for the for in, right. the, the time in between the two games, in between the two sessions, uh, just because you know. I mean, you, this is what you do. You know, load you, up. You go and do that. It seems silly that they don't do that. 
Right. Well, luckily there is a, at least four or five within walking distance of the area. Yeah, they were crammed though. They yeah. were all crammed at the gills. We had a hard time finding. I mean, we we eventually uh, found a place, but it was the, the lines were pr- lines. I'll say the lines were longer than you would like them to be when you're sitting outside in Buffalo right. <laughs> on a Absolutely. on a Friday afternoon. Well, it's so interesting how the tournament is willing to load a bracket in the interest of attendance, which is in the interest of profit. They don't want to make profit on concessions. Yeah, that's, that's and crazy. it's weird. It, it, yeah. It's funny too because you know, I've been to plenty of collegiate events that sell beer. They don't get out of control. <laughs> there's no problem. Like they're they're, they're frankly more well behaved than your average professional event. So you know, I think uh, I know that a lot of these places are public schools and they can't you know for liability reasons they they don't want to be publicly uh, aligned with alcohol. But uh, the idea that you would have these things at a professional arena where the capacity to sell beer is there and they don't do it seems to me sort of silly. Well, you got some good games here anyway. Uh, Dayton, you know, pulled off an upset yeah. on Ohio State, and both of the Sy- well, the second Syracuse game certainly was very interesting. I thought, uh, especially, seemed like the crowd was really into it, and uh, it seemed like even the Dayton fans there were pretty loud for as limited as they were. At least watching on TV, you could feel the Dayton representation in the building when Dayton would start to go on a run. And it's not like it was one. It was going to be one of those buildings where the 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 crowd was going to turn on the favorite just because the underdog was making a run. Because you could see all the orange in there. Yeah, it was great though. I, I'd noticed the Dayton fans before at the A10 tournament in Brooklyn. Uh, they really take over. They also played a game, I think, against uh, Fordham uh, at the Garden one time, and I was really taken aback too. Uh, just how well Dayton fans travel. You know, I love. I wrote a piece about this for Sports on Earth, but I love that idea of you know the. Um, the, these small schools, Dayton, Creighton, New Mexico, uh, uh, VCU, uh, these like smaller college basketballs. I love college basketball. Like you know, I, I like the, I love the NBA, but college basketball. I while recognizing, of course, obviously it's an inferior product uh, to me. You know, probably maybe just because I grew up near a college town. I have an emotional attachment to college basketball, and I love these small towns that get the, you know that that they uh, smallish towns anyway that get so fired up for, for their college basketball team and I and, and will travel anywhere to see them. And and to me that was that was great. You know, anytime you see an upset like then again Dayton is not, you know, Florida Gulf Coast. This is an A ten team that's that's had some success and uh, and has a really solid young coach. Um you know, so they're not like this is not out of complete nowhere, but certainly when you see Double a team like that team. that uh that pulls off the upsets that they did. Beating Ohio State and Syracuse, I mean, that's pretty impressive to do uh, two, two out of three days. To do that, it's nice to have thousands of people there that appreciate it. You know, it's been 30 years since they went to a Sweet 16, and it was cool to see to see those people celebrate. I feel like they'd, they'd really earned it. What do you think about this tournament going forward in the sense that, unlike several of the last few years, it really seems like it's going to be a much more traditional power tournament the rest of the way. There's much fewer. I think there's only two two double-digit seeds, I believe, or if that's not correct, it's two uh, non-power conference teams that have advanced to the Sweet 16. Do you think that's going to help or hurt the tournament? I think well, I, I think as a college basketball fan, it makes it a little bit less fun, but for the the casual fan, those always do well. You know, I'm all, It's always a surprise to me among the most memorable uh, national championships I've ever seen, where the, particularly the Butler-Duke one, but also the Butler-Connecticut uh, one. Like the idea that Butler made the national championship two game two consecutive years is sort of insane. And imagine it, if you made that shot. My, my brother oh, and I were just talking about that. That'd yeah. be a, a top five all time highlight. 
Oh yeah, he, he almost he did. Just he almost went it. in. Yeah, he just missed it too. But those games got terrible ratings. <laughs> those games got because nobody knew because not very many people from Butler. You know, I feel like like you know when you're talking about national scale on these things, it's sad to say, but CBS, you know, they like it when Duke plays Kentucky, and that's all there is to it. You know, and and I I don't like that because I love college basketball. Um, and you know, to me, that's a constant push pull of all sports. Really, um, the idea of how much, you know, how much. Uh, is for the hardcore fan and how much is for the crossover fan. I, I tend to believe that, uh, that you, you have to cater to your base and make sure the people that love you, uh, remain loving you. Uh, Cause if you lose, lose those people, you're dead. Uh, but most people don't feel that way. <laughs> most people uh, take those people for granted and, and want the Duke and Kentucky in those games. So, you know, uh, maybe that's why I don't run the network or why I don't run the sports league, but it is funny that for me, I, I, uh, I, I, I agree with you. I tend to like, those double-digit seeds making it, and to me, I'll, f- I'll find myself rooting a ton for for Duke. I mean, for Duke, for uh, for Dayton and uh, and San Diego State. Not San Diego State's a low seed, but those smaller schools, I find myself rooting for them. But you know, one nice thing about this year is some of the number one seeds, some of the top seeds, really have a lot of underdog to them. You know, I, my my, Virginia, I feel like my right? my team that I'm looking, I'm excited about is Virginia. Yeah, you know, I really like Virginia. I feel like that's a team. That's a school that is. Uh, I love the fact that the, you know, the year the ACC supersized, it got Syracuse and Pittsburgh and Louisville's coming. And now Duke and North Carolina. All these, Virginia wins the league, gets number one seed. Now they're all out of the tournament. Virginia's still in. To me, I find that very likable about them, and I I would love to see them continue to, to keep winning. Yeah, and I think it's the first time in my lifetime that no one from North Carolina is in the Sweet Sixteen. I think they said seventy nine. I was born in eighty, so that's yeah, it's nice. And I, I think I, again, I I like that. I I like too that. You know, um, but it is it is an element of truth. Like as much as everybody really enjoyed that Mercer win over over Duke, there was nobody watching that Mercer Tennessee game. No. So you know, I suppose there's something to that. Yeah, and and that is the negative is that eventually those teams always seem to run into that game that the matchup just isn't quite there. They ran out of steam, and then you're stuck with a a thirty point. Game. That's why I love. That's why I love George Mason so much. George Mason was so fun because they they made that run and then played that Connecticut team that yeah, everyone thought was going right. to win the tournament. Yeah, and yeah. then when, and George Mason beat them in the Elite Eight. After they won that, I was like, well, shoot, man, they can probably just go ahead and win the whole thing now. Yeah. Uh, so the sports world kind of goes like this. You're all wrapped up in football, and then it was like that ended. So we looked ahead to the Olympics, and then that ended, and we look ahead to the tournament and the tournament to me always means opening day for whatever reason i always associate the two like oh tournament's gonna end and opening day is gonna come up and you're a huge cardinals guy and i think i saw a tweet you recorded like a six hour cardinals preview (laughs) podcast or something like that so i'll have to check that out but what first i want to ask you real quick because i didn't get to ask you this before uh did you suffer any fury or outrage the night of the like interference thing in the world series last year like or would you just kind of like, nah, that was the right call? Or like, what well, was it was of, the right call. I it don't was. Really, there's but, any question about that. But uh, I could still whether, see a fan being infuriated because there's just absolutely nothing he could have done. Well, yeah. It. I mean, that's true, but right. it's still the right call. Right. And, you know, I think that, you know, I, I was watching that game for the stands in St. Louis, so I didn't see a lot of fury. But uh, I, I'm right. sure it was out there. But, you know, I mean, it was the right call. And it's hard for them to, you know, I, I, I this is something that I find somewhat frustrating uh in the way that some things are covered now because we a lot of times we get excited about the outrage and then don't really care if the call it was actually right or not uh another example of this would be the famous infield fly call in the in the cardinals braves games a couple right. of years ago and that like was that, a horrible that call. was a really frustrating call yeah. if you didn't understand the rule i, I, I think understand i understand it i still think it was horrible 
Yeah, but it wasn't. Like, that's the thing, is if you actually, like, see the rule, uh, and Harold Riddles did this great breakdown of it, of what, how this is a call that's made regularly all the time. Like, like I, for me, I feel like we should save our outrage, like, for calls that are wrong. And, and you know, that's, that's always kind of a strange thing. Like, we get caught up in, like, oh, well, it should be like this. Yeah, but it's not. Like, these are very clear rules that are put here for, for, for very smart reasons. Like, get angry at Don Dickinger. Get angry at, uh, you know, at... Uh, at at, at some of the at some horrible, you yeah, get angry at, at the Tony Tarasco Derek Jeter call. You know uh, that that's that's something you get angry about. But I think that I think because we have a culture where rage and uh, myself being as guilty of this as anyone, uh, rage and frustration can be cataloged and displayed so quickly and so easily. We sometimes we don't really take a step back and realize, oh wait, that's actually the right call. Like, and that play at third was the right call. Yes, there was nothing else he could have done. Yeah, if he stays does, on the ground, he interferes with him, and if he stands up, he interferes with him. He's just yeah. Well, it, but, but we're not rights. shooting him. He's just right. out. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the, 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 it's not it's not a punishment. That that call's not meant to be a punishment. Uh, say, oh, guy at third, you did something wrong, so you're out. The idea is the reason. The reason that rule exists is because the guy, because the third baseman can't get up to field the ball. No matter whose fault it is, it's not like he did it on purpose. Intent is beside the point in a call like that. It explicitly states that intent is not the is has nothing to do with the way the play is called on a, a play like that. And I understand how that can seem unfair. I understand how viscerally that can feel wrong because you're right. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't try to do anything wrong. It would be like calling pass interference when their feet get tangled. Yeah, that, but that it's not because the rule clearly states that intent doesn't matter. So right, it's, it's so the it, opposite the other way. I understand that. I, I, I'm just saying, like, taking the rules out of it just as a fan, like, you but know. But that's dumb. Why would we ever take the rules out of it? The rules are the things that govern everything. Well, because I take think the going, rules out of it, we have chaos. Because I think going forward, can't we, can we improve? Like, can't we use that play to improve baseball? Like, but I, is but there that, any but, reason we couldn't change that rule? But that's not a dumb rule. <laughs> like, that's not a dumb rule is what I'm arguing. Like, what I'm okay. saying is that, like, that's a good rule. If that call goes against the Cardinals, I'm very frustrated because I know that the Cardinal runner didn't do anything wrong. But I understand why the rule is there. You can't – an umpire can't get into the brain of a person and guess what intent is in a half a second. Their job is to call what happened. And what happened on that play was the the, the fielder was inter, the runner was interfered with, feared with when he was trying to score. That's how it works. Their intent doesn't matter. That's why the rule is there. And I'm sure it's it is frustrating because there is no intent. It seems unfair, but the rule clearly states and is there for a very reasonable reason. Now we can make an argument about the infield fly rule. I think a better case can be made to overturn the infield fly rule. I don't agree, but I under, I understand the case on that. But to me, you know, one of the things I so the reason I'm worried about replay in a lot of ways. I feel like you know. Even Replay theoretically is a great idea. Right. It's oh, we got this thing wrong. We need to get these things fixed. But what it does is it opens up all sorts of can of worms. We, it opens it, up- we saw it this weekend. Did you in the North Carolina game? We we witnessed yeah. the worst of replay because that kid calls that timeout because there's time on the clock. Yeah, exactly. he has no exactly. idea that the the clock didn't start on time. Yeah, I know, and he also doesn't rush to get up there because he sees time that's left on the clock. I agree, and I think yeah. that, like, you know, but again, you know, I my point is that I feel like there's this strange, almost didactic, uh, uh, wonkish obsession with getting everything exactly right all the time. And not to say that shouldn't be a goal, and not to say that shouldn't be something that we should not all strive for, but it's never going to actually be perfect. And when something doesn't go right or something doesn't go the way that we emotionally feel like it's supposed to, 
We're like, change the rule. I'm angry. And like, that needs to be fixed. And I think we're going to see this with replay. I think we're going to see a lot of problems with baseball replay. Uh, I love the idea of it. I've been, I've had the same frustration for years. But like, what's get like, I wrote a column for this for Sports on Earth last year. Because there were two great plays in the postseason last year where uh, there was one play where Mark Ellis from the Dodgers was thrown out at the plate on a on a bang bang play of the play, but the ball clearly beat him. The tag did not get down to get his get his leg, yep, I but like that. clearly the ball beat him. Now for 150 years or however long baseball has been going on, this is the, every wow. single baseball player has played the game this way. If the ball beats you, unless you're going to knock him over, which is another thing that we may be getting rid of, right. but unless you're going to knock him over, the ball beats you, you slide in, you're out. Like, that's just the way that it's, it, it's been. Like, maybe you can try to avoid a tag that comes on. But a play like that, that's the way it's always been called. Replay's going to change that. Now, we can argue maybe that's a good thing that, that changes that. Maybe they need to start getting that, getting that down. But this cut and dry, we know the correct answer all the time, is foolish. We don't. Not even with replay sometimes. And I feel like I, – I, I do feel like sometimes we respond to things emotionally – Rather than factually, we respond. We want things. We we want things to be the way, the way we want them to be, rather than the way they actually should be. Sometimes, and and so yeah. So I think that uh, uh, I know that call at third. The infield fly call, as I said, I, I, I'm willing to I'm willing to, to to grant a little bit of leeway on that. But again, like the the reason that the people were angry about that call is because they, they 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 hear infield fly and they're like, but that wasn't on the infield. Well, yes, fine. If you have a very simplistic understanding of only the name of the infield pl- fly rule call, then yes, you would think that. But if you actually look at the rule and look how this thing has been called for years and years, you can see exactly why they call it an infield fly. But people don't want to take that what next step. They want to like yell. And I feel like that is that is sometimes frustrating because now uh, I worry sometimes all we're doing is yelling. Well, we're kind of running out of time, but uh, I was going to say about the Cardinals is just that uh, Ben Ryder wrote a great column last year kind of about the dominance of the organization. I don't know if you read it for Sports Illustrated and kind of just what an amazing organization it is. And I could see why uh, I was just going to ask you, you know, look, you've got to be looking forward to the season and just kind of real quick because I love to get I, – I love – we like to get people's opinions on their teams a lot more than just maybe some team they cover. So I'm just curious, looking ahead, and what you're excited for about this specific Cardinals team in the last yeah, minute it's, here. Yeah, it's too. it's it's fun because they they're not you know there was a time even when they were winning you know and it's funny after the two after the 2005 season uh, the Cardinals were listed pretty much to, by almost every major rating organization to have the worst farm system in Major League Baseball, and then after the 2000 11 season, they were ready to have the best farm system in Major League Baseball. And in between that time, they only missed the, the playoffs twice and won two World Series. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good time to be a, a Cardinals fan. But even with some of those 2006, 2000, particularly 2016 that won, that team was Albert Pujols and nothing. And a bunch of, like it was. It was Albert Pujols in his prime and a bunch of guys that were either hurt or old or never or were never any good in the first place. So the thing that's exciting to me, as much as I, I enjoyed Pujols, is to watch you know, in the past, you enjoyed Pujols trying to carry an average team over the finish line. Now you see, you know, we uh, this is a, a front office that's very intelligent and very innovative and very willing to try a lot of different things. Um, and to see the idea that the Cardinals, other than catcher, which is the number one underrated thing for the Cardinals this year, as good as they are and as deep as they are, if Yadier Molina gets hurt, I feel like they're doomed. Like he's so he's so so uh, such an important player for that team. But other than that, they're basically three or four deep at every position, which uh, is a nice place to be. When I uh, considering I watched uh, 
you know, I watched uh, Khalil Green starting betting cleanup for the Cardinals in 2007 on opening day. So uh, uh, to see all the, the – it is, it is fun when you're watching a team and uh, and not only do you like, like the guys on the field, you know that there are guys bumping up behind them that are ready to play. And uh, that that is an exciting aspect. That's a, It's a very, very lucky time, a uh, very fortunate time to be a Cardinals fan. And it won't last forever. And in 15 years, the Cardinals will, will be at the bottom of the NL Central. And and uh, and I'll, I will miss the days when everyone was annoyed with Cardinals fans all the time. But uh, for now, I'm, I am just going to try to enjoy the winning there. And again, you know, I don't know. I feel like they have to be pretty uh, clearly favored in that division this year. I feel like it's possible every team, uh, with possible exception that Milwaukee takes a step back this year yeah, in that division, so uh, I think they got to be favored. But I'm I'm happy, and uh, I'm certainly good. I'm ready for baseball to start. Well, we'll write uh, some great columns on SportsOnEarth.com, which has been one of our we've liked it from the start. He also does a daily podcast there. You can find him on Twitter. It's at William F L E I T C H. Kind of breaking the rules there with the name. You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. yeah, stupid forefathers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. And oh, Sports on Earth. I, I was worried for a second when Poznanski left, but it's cool, right? I mean, like, because we I read it all the time, and we mention it, and we interview a lot of the, the writers that they come on. They're they're great to us, but it's a, it's a cool place. It's a good spot, right? Oh yeah, thanks. We're we're very happy. You know, I think that there was a sense among a lot of people that when Poznanski left, because it would he had been so closely associated with right. him. It was like uh, his that, thing, uh, like his that, Yeah, that when he left, there was going to be right. an issue. But no, that was actually when he left is when I took over his spot to go full time. And right. certainly, I think that you know I'm glad it's not as closely associated with me as it was with Joe because I don't really I, I just want to write. But certainly, the traffic is up. Uh, I think the quality is up. Uh, I think everything about the site has improved. Uh, not to say that, of course, obviously you lose Joe Pazanski. That's a big hole to fill. But, uh, you know, I feel I like that. Uh, it's a it's a good site. that It, it brings, the, I think, the best of, like, traditional reporting and, uh, and some of the more interesting uh, classical-esque uh, uh, online stuff. And I, I feel like we're doing, we're doing pretty good. We're certainly having a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for doing this today. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, I want to thank Will Leach for being on the program today. I appreciate him from Sports on Earth coming in and talking about a bunch of different things. Really enjoyed that. Took a break last week from the greatest of all time, but we're back today. All right, my greatest of all time this week is Buffalo Bills-centric. I'm going to go with the greatest Bills game of all time. I think it's the comeback game. I'm sure some people would say uh, it was the goalpost game. Jets, right? Uh, Yeah, pandemonium. Yeah, but to me... You could also say the AFC Championship game against the Raiders. the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, it, as far as a game goes, it Such wasn't a much of a game. Right. But as far as the excitement, just for going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, there's a lot of them in those four years. But uh, the comeback game, I think, is the game that that team will always be remembered for. I mean, if it's not, like, wide right, if the positive memory of that team will just be the comeback game. Uh, I'm sure if you lived in Houston at the time, it's the greatest choke job of all time. I mean, it was a terrible coaching job. and all that, but just showed what the uh, kind of scrappy Bills that uh, just kind of hang around. And I mean, it was it was a phenomenal game that uh, Frank Reich ended up winning. That's right. 
And that's interesting because I went with I wanted to do a Bills one today too. I I went with the greatest Buffalo Bills player of all time, and he's trending right now. So you could say that that might have influenced me, but I think it's Jim Kelly, and I, I have a case for it. There's only a few possible answers here. One is O.J. Simpson. I never seen him play. Oh yeah, I, you know what? I didn't even think of O.J. Okay, so he would be one potential answer. I've never seen him play. So. And he's a scumbag. So <laughs> right, that makes me yeah. not want to pick a guy who, A, I never seen play, and B, is a scumbag. As far as Kelly goes, it's he's such an interesting person in the sense that he went to a different league to play because he didn't want to play come here right. so badly. And then he got here and never left because when he got here, it became just an unbelievable fit. He – the one thing – one of the – things that I don't know if I've ever seen it quite paralleled in a quarterback is he was the toughest quarterback I think I've ever seen play. He never didn't get up, it felt like. Right. I know he missed games. He had injuries. You mentioned Frank Reich played the comeback game. But he was as blue-collar. He, he's a lot like Brett Favre. He's like the Bills version of Brett Favre, just a blue-collar. And they go hunting together, Favre and Kelly. Sure, They're right. Like, it's very similar. And that works here, and it worked here for a long time, and he led the team to four Super Bowls, and he didn't particularly play great in any of them, and there might be reasons for that, but he's he's their guy. I mean, he's their, he's their greatest player of all time. I, I just, I don't even know who else you'd say besides O.J. Simpson, and fuck O.J. Simpson. <laughs> uh, I actually, I took a different approach to this, but it'll make sense, but I also did Buffalo, greatest Buffalo Bills player of all time, and I said Bruce Smith, and I gave my reason last week for that. I think he's the only guy, other than maybe OJ, but you lay out a good reason not to pick him. But uh, I think he's the only guy that you can say may have been the best at his position of all time. The only other one is Kent Hall at center, but I only know that because people say, say that. it. Right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, or I don't Steve have any... Tasker as special teams. Right. But, I mean, that's, again, like, okay, I'll take your word for it. I mean, he was sweet at special teams, but I don't know the intricacies of it. But So, yeah, I'm going to say the greatest Buffalo Bills player of all time is Bruce Smith. All right, uh, I went with uh, sort of on the Bills team. I was thinking about Ralph Wilson dying today, and I was thinking what a great owner he's been for Buffalo, but who's the greatest sports owner of all time? It didn't take me long to to come to it at all. I think it's a landslide that it's Art Modell, the longtime owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep. He, first of all, won a ton. Second of all, he created an incredible structure within the organization that led to them literally having three coaches in his lifetime. Yeah, it's insane. You know what? As soon as like you kind of were giving me some suggestions when we were brainstorming this, that was my first. I don't. I, his name slipped my mind for some reason, but that was my first thought too. It's like I'd like to say Ralph here for his uh, philanthropic work and keep getting the bills, and he was real instrumental in getting the leagues together. But yeah, I think Art Modell is everything you'd want in an owner. Art Modell was the perfect balance of humanitarian for the league. Uh, he wrote the checks when he needed to, but he didn't get too involved in personnel. He hired people and let those people do their jobs. Yeah, he's not Jerry Jones. He hired coaches and let those coaches coach. Ch- Chuck Noll, I don't think, was extremely successful initially, but he stuck with them, and that was rewarded with several Super Bowls. And I don't know, just I it's I can't even think of anyone else who 
is in the league in terms of class and success and structure that Art Modell is. So it seems like a pretty easy one to me. But if you have a better answer, you can email us. Yeah. Sportscasters uh, at gmail.com or on Twitter at sports underscore casters. My last one all time, uh, my last greatest of all time pick, uh, it's kind of a stupid term, but the greatest Buffalo Bill of all time is Jim Kelly. For every reason you said, I don't know that he was necessarily, I don't think he's going to get in many conversations for the greatest quarterback of all time. But as far as one guy that just represents the team, it's Jim Kelly. He's still around. He's very visible. He's very vocal. Uh, He's almost universally liked, it seems like. Uh, Ralph Wilson dying is a sad day. Um, If things with Jim don't turn around, that's going to be as devastating a day to the city of Buffalo as any I can remember. So Jim Kelly, uh, to that team and the way the team relates to the community, there's there's no more influential individual Bills figure than Jim Kelly. All right, so I was watching TV on Sunday. Sunday is usually a great moment for TV, and I'm a big fan of the show The Good Wife, mostly because I have two or three wet dreams about Juliana Margulies <laughs> a week. Uh, but it's actually it is a great show, The Good Wife. If you don't watch it, I recommend it. And shows going along like every other episode of The Good Wife, and then bam, they killed off the main character like really? in three seconds. Spoiler not. Alert. not yeah, oh, I probably should have said that, but whatever. It, he was on Letterman talking about it last night. Oh, so. okay. Uh, but so there's obviously Juliana Margulies' character, Alicia, is the main character. Okay. The male lead was killed. Gotcha. Abruptly. And apparently this was a year in the making, and they kept it a secret. And, like, people who are smarter than me are saying it's, like, the best-kept secret in television since Who Shot JR. Like, to have a guy in this day and age with all the media and production – uh, the uh, PR departments trying to put things in trailers. And I mean, they hinted at a shocking moment, but in that hinting in the trailers, Will wasn't there, the guy who was shot. Oh, okay. And it happened real quick. They didn't drag it out over two episodes. I mean, he got shot in a courtroom. Then they cut to a hospital scene, and there's a little bit of scrambling, and then they go into the room and they pull the sheet over, and he's dead. It was like just like that. Wow. It was so. First of all, ballsy for a show to kill off a lead character like that. Although you find out later that they didn't have a choice because he wanted to leave. And uh, I guess he said a year ago after last season he wanted to leave. His contract was up. They were able to talk him into doing the 15 episodes to give the character a better send-off or whatever. And he's directing a few episodes. But it led me, for this purpose, to the greatest... The, the greatest shocking moment in the history of television, and I think it's when – Don, you might want to take your headphones off if you plan on watching oh, The Wire. wire? Yeah, because it's a Wire moment. So the, the most shocking moment in television history is when the little kid shot Omar. Uh, I never thought it would go down that way, so I'll leave it at that so Don doesn't know. Did you hear? I did not. Okay. I know a lot of – you know, I The Wire has been spoiled for me over and over and over again. But it's to the point where I heard the spoiler long enough ago that I don't remember who dies. Like, I know there's going to be people in it when I finally watch it that I like that are going to die. But and I think that's bound to happen based on the subject matter. It was more about how this person died. Oh. So even if you knew he died. Gotcha. This would – it wouldn't matter because you'd still never see this coming. 
Because it's not like it happened on the last episode. Okay. So even if I said character X is going to die to you, it would still be you'd still out of be nowhere. shocked because right, right. it comes out of nowhere. So, all right, my three things this week: the greatest game, Buffalo Bills game of all time, was the comeback. The greatest Buffalo Bills player or athlete, maybe I want to say, is Bruce Smith. But the greatest Buffalo Bill, which sounds stupid, but that's Jim Kelly. Uh, the greatest Buffalo Bills player of all time is Jim Kelly. The greatest owner of all time is Art Modell. And the most shocking moment in television history is the one I just said about the wire. Sweet. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with Matt Tabram from the Denver Pioneers. Our next guest is from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and is a member of the 2014 NCHC champion Denver Pioneers. They're headed to the NCAA tournament this weekend, and I wanted to make sure he got some buzz on the podcast. The Warm Sportscasters, welcome to Matt Tabram. What's going on, Matt? Not much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really excited. We've been wanting to do this for a long time. And, uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> I got it. So, okay. So here's the funny story because I don't everyone doesn't know that we know each other, but uh, Matt played junior hockey with my brother, uh, and the first well I don't know if it was the first time I met you because I might have met you the first time when I came to actually when I came to Sioux Falls maybe maybe not, but um, we were hanging out one day Matt was injured or just about to come back or maybe playing I don't exactly remember where you were in your recovery. At this point, but we were in Chicago. I don't know if you remember this weekend or not. So we're in okay. Ch- we're in Chicago, and you guys got the games on the weekend, and um, so it was definitely s- the second of the days. So it's Saturday, and uh, it, it was a long day. And I remember it was like me and my mom were that. My mom was there. My dad was there. I was there. I think one of my like cu- girl cousins was there for some reason, maybe, and. Uh, Remember, you guys had like all kinds of nonsense to do, and in the morning, and my mom was getting real frustrated as moms can. And uh, Anthony texted me and was like, "Yo, me and Tabes and maybe one other guy were we're just hanging in the room, you know, just kind of duck away and come hang out with us for a while." He's like, "But don't tell mom because she's all over me, but I just want to sit in here." So I was like, "Okay." So I snuck, I snuck off, and came into the room. So I'm just sitting on the bed, just hanging out. I think there was definitely three of us. I don't remember who the third guy was because I remember the cot was in the middle of the room, and you were like, "Oh, I'm gonna take a shower." So you go out, you take a shower, come back out. Second, you walk out of the shower, is knock at the door, and it's my mom, and she wants to come in. And, like, it's almost like a scene out of the movie, like, the door's, like, kind of, like, Anthony's got the door, like, half open, and he's, like, no, you can't come in. And she's, like, looking with her head, but why can Steve come in? That's not fair. And he's, like, one of my teammates is naked. He just got out of the shower. You can't come in. Just go down and back into the lobby. We'll come out there. So. Yeah, no, no, I remember that. That was, uh, 
you know, that's one of those long road trips that, you know, <laughs> you, you, you get to have fun on and, you know, spend a lot of time with your teammates. So, but, you know, I remember, I remember that uh, very well because I remember Anthony, Anthony was not too happy about, uh, <laughs> about your mother knocking at the door. <laughs> he certainly wasn't. I, didn't, I think, like, I remember that whole weekend. I was like, let's just try not to let her find out what room I'm in. Cause we were in the same hotel. I remember. Yeah. Which was the issue. Uh, but you, I remember like being confused at first because you were injured, but on the team, but you were injured for a long, like they really stuck with you for a long time there, right? Like what, what was going on? And like, is this, are you, you're healed. Obviously you've been playing for pretty much all the games in college as far as I know, but what did you have to kind of battle through there? And like Hartzell is pretty good to stick with you, huh? Yeah, you know, um, so after my last year of midget hockey, um, you know, I had a procedure done because I had an inflamed bursa that kept filling up with fluid. And um, so, you know, I had a surgery um, done right after my midget season had wrapped up. And, um, you know, that was right around the uh, USHL draft, which, you know, Sioux Falls ended up drafting me. Um, and, you know, I was expected to be ready to go at, uh, at tryout camp that summer. And I ended up a week before tryout camp, I ended up skating and had the incision open up on me. And, um, so I had to have another procedure done just to go out and have it closed up again. So I didn't, didn't get to skate at, you know, tryout camp, but I, you know, traveled out there anyways, because, you know, I wanted to you know, make, you know, myself seen to, you know, Coach Hartzell and, you know, Coach Jones and, you know, they, uh, you know, they were happy to have me out there and, you know, after trial camp um, wrapped up, uh, Coach Hartzell came up to me and, you know, said, you know, we really would love to have you come in as a part of our, uh, you know, training camp, uh, the 30-man training camp. So what ended up happening was, um, you know, I went into training camp, um, you know, had a couple practices into training camp. I was battling my ankle again, you know, didn't make it through the off-ice testing um, portion of training camp. And Coach Hartzell came to me and said, you know, we're going to put you on, you know, the 30-day IR. Let's try to get this, you know, all healed up and, you know, you can play. And so after that, uh, you know, I came off the IR you know, I was good to go and, uh, you know, played three games after I came off the IR. And uh, in practice one day, I ended up getting a blister kind of in the same spot uh, on my ankle. And it ended up, you know, just being a whole mess. And I ended up going to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And they basically told me, you know, we got to get you into surgery, you know, tomorrow for the third time in seven months. And, um, and so they got me into surgery and basically they told me going into surgery, you know, we might have to do a muscle graft if this, uh, if this incision doesn't close up for us with, you know, the sutures. And so with that being said, I went in knowing if they did the muscle graft that, um, basically I would not be able to put my foot in a skate, you know, comfortably again. And basically my, you know, you know, hockey for me would be over at this point. Right. And, um, you know, they 
they went in, got it closed up, and actually found out I had a staph infection in my ankle. Um, and, you know, it, uh, it took a lot longer this time for, you know, the recovery portion. And Coach Hartzell asked if, you know, if I wanted to go home and then come back when I was healed. And, you know, I asked him if it would be okay if I, you know, stayed out with the team. I, you know, I think it'd be better for myself as, you know, from an emotional standpoint to, to be around, be around the guys and, um, you know, be a part of that whole, like, you know, team portion of, you know, of life. And, um, you know, he, he went to, you know, Gary Weckworth, um, you know, one of the owners and, you know, asked. Gary, he's a nice yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gary, Gary. Gary's a great guy. You yeah. know, he ended up coming to me after Hartsy Hartsy asked him if I could stay out here, and he said, "You know what? You're you're as much a part you're a part as much of a part of this team as anyone else right now, and you know we'd love to have you stay out here, and you know hopefully you know we can get you into some you know playing again towards the end of the season, and you know with this this whole staff infection thing, it." Uh, you know, it, it didn't heal as quickly as everyone anticipated. And I ended up missing the, you know, rest of that season. But, uh, you know, Coach Hartzell and, you know, Gary gave me a, you know, a chance to come back the next year. And, you know, I, you know, I came back, made the team again. And, Got you know, traded. from there, <laughs> I earned my, you know, scholarship at uh, DU. And it's kind of been, you know, history since then so it's uh i you know i had a rough go in juniors but it, it's worked out for the best and i want to move on from juniors but was it did you were you surprised like considering how much they stuck with you the one year that you got traded the next year um like did that seem i wouldn't odd say <laughs> so much you know yeah obviously it was a surprise you know i know uh you know me and anthony got traded you know a week apart from one another apart, yeah. and you know i think at that time, you know, it was tough for everyone. I mean, I, I had my roommate, you know, traded a week before me, and then, you know, being traded the following week, it's, you know, obviously in junior hockey, you know, the coaches and general managers have to make moves based on, you know, what's best for their team at that particular time. And, you know, as of right now, there's there's no hard feelings between, you know, me and Blue Falls or, you know, me and Hartsey. I mean, I... I traveled back there at the end of, you know, the college season last year and got to see my billets and, you know, got to sit in Sioux Falls Arena and, you know, watch a couple of games. So, you know, it's, there's no hard feelings. And, you know, as much of it, as much as it was a surprise, um, you know, it was a life lesson as well, you know, going into a new situation and having to, you know, deal what was thrown at you. Obviously, growing up in Colorado Springs, I would think that the University of Denver is probably pretty close to the top of the list of your dream schools. Did you go on many visits? Was it always Denver you were kind of focused on, or how how did that kind of recruiting process work out for you? Um, the recruiting process, um, you know, was kind of interesting. Um, so, you know, Coach Miller here at DU, who is now going to be the uh, the Madison Capitals head coach in the USHL, um, actually had me come up on an unofficial visit when I was, uh, I think, 16 or 17. And, um, you know, I kind of fell in love with the campus. I fell in love with, you know, the the programs that they had in place for, you know, education and um, academics. And, you know, obviously the hockey program is, uh, you know, 
uh, an elite program in, you know, college hockey. And, you know, from, from that visit, I kind of had my mind set, you know, I want to go to, you know, the University of Denver if I get the opportunity. And, you know, through, you know, the rest of midget hockey and juniors, you know, we maintain contact with one another and, you know, kind of, you know, would check up on, you know, how, how each other are doing, um, you know, how the teams are doing. And, you know, I visited a couple schools while playing junior hockey. I visited, you know, uh, Bemidji and, uh, uh, where else? I, I, I think Bemidji is the only one I actually visited, but yeah, I was talking to a few other schools right. and, uh, you know, at one point, the second my second year of uh, junior hockey, Coach Miller called me up, and you know, finally, you know, they uh, they had they they made an offer to me, and it kind of at that point was you know no brainer because you know this is where I wanted to be, and you know why why not take up an offer if you know this is the number one school on on your uh, on your list. Yeah, and I mean, it certainly worked out. I mean, you've played almost every. Just about it looks like you've played just about every game that Denver's played since you've been there. I mean, 33 games, that's a lot of games as a freshman. And I remember talking to you at, at the end of last season, and I know you were a little disappointed with the university's decision to make a coaching change just because how much the coach had believed in you uh, last year. And um, tell me a little bit about the transition and, and kind of how the team is kind of, it seems like it's been a kind of a slow build, but it seems like you guys are all kind of finally starting to click and get on the, get on the same page. Yeah. You know, obviously it was a, a tough situation at the end of last year. I mean, we, we were one day removed from the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, we had, we had an email sent to us basically saying that, uh, the school was going to go in a different direction and that, you know, coach Gladzecki was, not going to be with us anymore and you know it was you know april 1st so you know every everyone thought you know wow this this is you know some some sick april fool's joke and um you know probably two hours after that email got sent to us we had another one from uh our senior athletic director saying you know we need we need everyone in here you know at four o'clock for a meeting and basically uh you know, we had a meeting. They told us, you know, this is not a joke. The school is going to go in a different direction. And, you know, it was it was a little bit confusing, you know, at at the time just based off, you know, what uh, Coach Gwazdecki did in his time here and, you know, how he was perceived by everyone and, you know, even the public. But, um, you know, they, they brought in a guy that, that knows how to win. And, um, you know, obviously for the returning guys, it was, you know, a little bit different, just, you know, coaching style and, you know, um, but, you know, obviously you can see as of recent, I think, I think everyone has, has, you know, fully bought into, you know, you know, what coach Montgomery is, is doing here and, you know, how he believes we should play. And, you know, obviously you can see from this weekend, you know, us winning the, you know, inaugural NCHC championship, um, you know, it's it might be a move that, you know, that is beneficial not only towards, you know, the you know, us as players, but towards the institution as well. Yeah, it's a lot for one year, though. I mean, to have a coaching change, to have a league change, you know, um, that's a lot. 
and then it seems like just kind of like looking at the year, it doesn't seem all that different from what I watched with Yale in that there's not a lot of runs in one direction or the other. It's pretty much you guys kind of a lot of splits. Or if you got swept one weekend, you might get swept the next, but no huge runs either way. And then going into playoff time, you guys had to go on the road right away to Nebraska-Omaha. What was kind of the feeling in the team going in and getting started with the playoffs? Did you guys Were you guys confident you know, right off the bat, or did you need to get that first win to kind of get it rolling? Because you guys... What you lost the first game, I think, against Omaha, and then won the next two, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, like you like you touched on, there's there's no major you know runs either way, right. in, um you know in our conference, which you know I think kind of speaks for our conference in itself, where you know anyone can beat anyone on any given night. You know, we won we won against everyone. Um, you know, we lost to everyone as well. So you know, I. I think when you have, you know, that tight of a conference and you go into playoffs, um, I mean, there's that confidence that hey, even if we're going on the road, you you know you can you you can beat this team, and you know I think we're we're confident going in with you know the progress that we had made throughout the year that hey, even if we're on the road, we're gonna go we're gonna go battle, and um, you know after. After we got that win on the second night, um, you know, we went into, you know, the third game just saying, hey, we're going to play a period at a time, a shift at a time, and, you know, we're going to see where this takes us. And, you know, we came out on top during that series. And, you know, when you get to the NCHC tournament, like like we did, I mean, you you saw it um, firsthand where you have three of the lower seeds that, that won um, – you know, their first round series and, um, you know, Miami went into St. Cloud and, you know, swept St. Cloud, which, you know, finished first in, in our league and, you know, won the first Penrose cup. Um, so I think, I think it speaks a great deal for our conference that, you know, everyone's good and, you know, you see it in, you know, our, our, our tournament championship where, you know, six seeded Denver is playing eight seeded Miami. Um, so I think, you know, it's 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 been a great year. I mean, obviously, we're making a little push right now towards, you know, the end of the year, and, you know, we're, we're just going to see how far, you know, we can go, and, um, you know, we're just having fun while we're doing it. Well, obviously, there isn't the same drama with Selection Sunday in hockey as there is in basketball. I don't know that if everyone quite understands that, but you probably went to bat on Saturday, essentially knowing it's B.C., out east, right? I mean, you pretty much knew that. You didn't have to wake up at noon to see it on TV, right? I mean, you pretty much went to bed knowing that. What's even if you didn't, you found out soon enough. I mean, what's kind of the attitude about BC? Have you played BC yet in your career? I don't think so, right? Uh, we actually, uh, our team traveled out to uh, Boston and played BC and BU my freshman year. Freshman year. Okay. Um, I did not make that trip, so I did not get to you know um, play them. But um, we ended up that trip. We beat Boston College, and we uh, we lost to Boston University. And um, you know, so obviously, it's been two years removed since since we have played them. They have you know different personnel, but um, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a fun challenge because you know 
the NCAA tournament's a unique tournament where you know you don't get the you don't get to play some of these teams very often, and you know we're just gonna enjoy the experience, and you know if if we can get it done and you know keep moving on, we're we're just gonna you know we're gonna have some fun. So you know obviously Boston College is gonna be a very tough team to play, but um, you know we're we're not gonna you know say you know okay they're they're the number one seed we're the number four seed you know obviously people may write us off but um we're just going to enjoy the experience you know the nice thing you mentioned this about your league and, and how good your league can be is you've played great players all season you know you had a, a best of three against nebraska omaha has got a guy like josh archibald on the team who's had a phenomenal season so your team is not going to go down out east and say, oh, no, Johnny Goudreau's on BC, you know, we got to panic here because what are we going to do about this top guy? You play top guys all the time in your league. You think that gives you a little advantage over, say, a four seed that might come from the Atlantic hockey uh, who maybe doesn't have quite the top on talent that team like uh, you see on a more consistent basis does? No, I wouldn't say it's an advantage, but, um, you know, like you touched on, it's, you know, every – Pretty much every night in our league, you know, you're playing someone like Josh Archibald or you're playing Zarnick or Coleman at Miami or, you know, Nick Dowd right. at St. Cloud. Barber. But yeah, you know, we, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we see, you know, a lot of top end guys a lot, but, you know, even, even in Atlantic, in the Atlantic conference, I mean, they, they have a lot of good players in their conference as well, but I think, I think that's, you know, I think the advantage for us is we've we've kind of learned, you know, that you know every team has someone that's going to be you know a top end guy. So, um, you know, I think just as a team, we've learned how to deal with that. You know, some teams don't learn how to deal with that. Um, um, I think just you know it's it's uh, you know it's uh, hat, you know, tip of the hat to our league where, you know, we have we have those guys in our league that you're going to play every night. So you got a, the one cool thing that I'd be so pumped about if I was you is right now you're on a line with a nickname. I mean, that's like, you know, one of the coolest things going when you can get on a line with a nickname. And I think the idea behind the line is to go out there and, and throw some bodies and bang a little bit is you think some of the some of the game plan is going to be to get you guys out there and, and see what BC does if a couple of big tough kids from out west smack them in the mouth a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what we do every night. Um, it's actually funny, you know, we we didn't uh, really think much of, you know, what you know, our line kind of was until, you know, Coach Montgomery came to the locker room uh, pregame and you know, said, you know, the mash line you guys have to start and it kind of has has taken off a little bit. Um, I know the Denver Post is going to do a little thing this week on our line, and you know I know um, Dave Starman ate it up at uh, you know the NCHC tournament. So you know it's kind of cool to be you know a part of something like that. Um, as for you know your other question, you know we're we're going to go out and and do what we do every night. We're going to you know go bang some bodies. We're going to get pucks deep. Um, and, you know, try to create some energy for our team. And, you know, I think that's how, 
we approach every, you know, every shift is, you know, it's another shift for us to go out and, and try to create some momentum for our team so, you know, we can keep the game going in the right direction. Sportscasters here talking with Matt Tabram, plays for Denver, going to the NCAA tournament. You've been there every year. You've been there, right? Yeah, yeah. We uh, Obviously, this year was uh, the hardest way we got there, but uh, since I've been at school, we've made it every tournament. Well, best of luck to you, buddy, this weekend. You know, Actually, you know, a couple other things I'll ask you real quick. I'll let you go. You've probably got some other stuff you got to do. You guys are going to be traveling early this week, I'm sure, to get out there. You guys play nope, not till Saturday, so not the first day at least, right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, what about school there and stuff? Is it like what you expected going in and being a student athlete? and Like you go to a school where the hockey team's the most important team at the school, you know, and that's a lot of the hockey schools – I mean, I don't know, like, even I think some of the school, obviously, like, it's school like Michigan, for example, it's a storied college hockey program, but you really can't make an argument that it's the most important team on, on that campus when they draw 115,000 people for football or whatever. You know, yeah. but you go to a school, it's very similar in terms of history to a school like Michigan, but you are the most important um, important team on campus. What, what, what kind of, like... What does that mean to you, and what does it mean to being a student athlete there? I mean, obviously, it's very cool to to be a part of a a team where you know you're you're looked upon as you know kind of the the team on campus that everyone likes to watch. Um, you know, I think it's kind of changing as well right now because you know we have a lot of teams on campus that are. Um, doing very well in the past few years. I mean, our lacrosse team has been to um, two Final Fours in the past three years. Um, so they're they're getting it done. You know, our, our ski team just won their 22nd national championship this year. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, it's changing here at the University of Denver. Um, you know, we have, I think we're kind of maybe turning into, you know, I wouldn't say, Michigan, but we're turning into a place where, you know, our athletics are, are going to be competitive in any sport that they play. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it, it's fun to be here. I mean, the lacrosse guys, you know, we're very good friends with them and, you know, to have two, two dominant programs that are very close, it's, it's, you know, it's a fun to be a part of campus life and, um, you know, to, walk around campus, you know, having, you know, your buddy standing next to you that's on a different team and, hey, you know, they're, you're rooting them on just as much as um, they're rooting you on. So it's, it's, you know, to be a part of this institution, it's, it's been on a lot of fun so far. Well, you can follow Matt on Twitter. He's H-E-W-Tabram14. Give him some, uh, give him some love this weekend. Tough matchup against BC, but I think it was only last year that, this is a really tough uh, two fifteen game, and I'm pretty sure the fifteen team won. So, actually, I know for a Fair. fact it happened. I watched it firsthand, so there's no reason you guys can't do it, and I'll be rooting for you for sure, bud. Well, thank you very much. We're gonna we're gonna go out and you know play it period at a time. So you know we're just gonna enjoy it. All right, you have fun, and uh, we'll talk to you when uh, you guys win the whole thing. We'll have you back. Awesome, thank you very All much. Right, bud. Talk to you soon.
All right, I want to thank all the guests today and a great episode of the Sportscasters. Jane Levy was on the show. Will Leach was on the show. And good luck to Matt Tabram and the rest of the uh, Denver Pioneers against BC on Saturday. Yeah, real quick. Uh, that music we always play in the segment is Ronald Jenkins. And it just made me, looking at this thing, like, there's, like, four different, like, I don't know what they call them, like, uh, like where you can put, like, a box on there and say something, messages, like, where you can click on different stuff. If I ever had, like, a prominent YouTube video, and this one has, like, 380,000 views, uh, a lot of them which are mine, but uh, <laughs> I would not allow that, I guess. There's just so much crap. All, it's, like, pop-up video, but for, I mean, are these even his links, or is this stuff going to other people? I don't know. It's strange. And, and it's off topic anyway i'm don russ i don't know if we said that earlier probably not <laughs> uh no one cares who i am uh you can find us on twitter at sports underscore casters you can also email us at sportscasters at gmail.com you can find this show last week's show and several other shows on our website www.sports-casters.com you can also find them on other services like Stitcher and, of course, iTunes and third-party apps like Instacast or Downcast. And if there's some other way that you'd like to hear the show, it's not available, let us know. We'll see if we can make it happen for you. I use Podkicker. That's a cool one for the Android. All right. Podkicker there. Podkicker. <laughs> All right. Uh, one last thing for me today. So the No Fun League is back at it again. Yeah. And it breaks my heart this time because... Not much got the blood flowing towards the penis during the football season for me <laughs> than when Jimmy Graham would dunk the football after a touchdown. There's just something so cool about it. It was like Saints porn. <laughs> Watching Jimmy Graham score a touchdown, often very tough touchdowns because he's so big and strong and some of them would be like one yard passes where you like box a guy out and right guy ends up on the ground it's and kind of outmans him yeah and then yeah. he just goes and dunks it and it's just so badass and i remember i'd always be tweeting with my brothers like i think it's a two dunker tonight or, <laughs> you know oh, it could be only a one dunker or whatever but they're not going to allow that anymore. Why? That, that's going to be a penalty. You're, Why? I guess the reason is because he's so tough that he broke the crossbar. Oh, okay. Time. He did tip it. Yeah, that's right. So apparently the 30 seconds that it took for them to fix that Reload while it, yeah. they were at commercial probably anyway sure, uh, is just too much for them to handle. And. Every player has come out against it that I've seen on Twitter. Tony Gonzalez said it looks like he got out just in time. He might be the originator of it. Uh, they should it, put it on springs or something. It's so just, when a guy dunks it, it just kind of goes back into place. And it's just – this was a celebration that was originally grandfathered in to when they took like things like using props away. Oh, okay. And you can't go to your knees to celebrate a touchdown. Also stupid. So why not just take everything away? Just hand the ball like, to the referee. Are you just gonna like just only allow spiking or handing the ball to the referee? Yeah, like if Gronk breaks a ball, or like is that you no longer allowed to spike the ball? Gronk Gronk broke that ball, and it just still seems internally unfair. And even at the time, it did that the Lambo leap is still okay. Yeah. So and and that won't be you know taken away until someone 
Lambo leaps into the crowd and hits someone with their helmet. Yeah, yeah, and someone loses an eye, so then they'll take that out, you know, or something like that. And it's just there's no rhyme or reason to it. They just every once in a while just decide it's gonna they're gonna make the league less fun. And I think these are the kinds of things that are gonna make Mark Cuban's. Yeah, instead of worry, like spending even a second worrying about dumb stuff like this, like figure out how to explain to someone that's never watched a game of football before what a catch is. Because that is so complicated and overly ridiculous that uh, I've seen people that watch football as a profession or have played football as a profession, like announcers and stuff, say, I, just, I don't know what a catch is anymore. Guys but, like Calvin Johnson, right. the best in the league at it. Probably catches a ball. Doesn't know for sure. Falls down. Rolls around. Roll, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? R- ridiculous. Who, who cares, NFL? Why, why, why do that? Get I, a life. I saw someone uh, – tweeted today and i didn't read the article because i was on my phone i didn't feel like whatever but the article like the headline was something like jimmy graham was not having a good off season or something like that i'm like oh no what happened now and it's they took his celebration away he tweeted that he's going to be the most i guess i'm gonna have to be the most penalized player in the league this year but that's not gonna happen Yeah. yeah all right one last thing for me this week i think i did this last year but my brother's involved with a group that uh if you've never played, oh, I guess it doesn't matter. Team Fortress 2 is a video game by Valve. Uh, it, there's a community of competitive and guys that play for fun. And once a year, one of the guys in that community, I think his name is Sean, started a charity. Uh, the website's called tipofthehats.org. He didn't actually start a charity, but they, they do the thing to raise money for a charity called One Step Camp. And the One Step Camp is a camp that is outfitted uh, with the personnel and the right supplies and all that type of things to allow kids with cancer to go to like, like a scout camp type thing. They get to go uh, where otherwise maybe it would be too dangerous to have those kids out there. Uh, they run, my brother and this group of people run this thing called Tip of the Hats. It's at tipofthehats.org and the actual broadcast so this will be done at twitch tv which broadcasts video games it's twitch.tv forward slash tip of the hats.com it starts this saturday at noon it'll run for like 36 hours if you've played team fortress and didn't know about this it's really cool because there's a lot of really talented gamers that play in this thing and they do a bunch of uh like kind of standard six on six matches and then they do a bunch of goofy stuff alongside that but it's really cool uh, I'm proud of my brother for being a part of this thing. I know last year he did like the, they call it like a camera work. Someone goes into like a spectator mode and kind of flies around and handles the camera work and uh, that type of thing. But he did that almost exclusively by himself for the entirety of this last year. But they raised like $13,000 last year for this camp and they're hoping to make more this year. So it's a cool cause, even if you don't know what Team Fortress 2 is from Call of Duty, from any other game. Uh, so if you want to donate, go to tipofthehats.org. The money all goes toward this one-step camp. It's a cool cause. Uh, it's a cool thing when a group of, I don't know, nerds. I, I, mean, I would, kids. Yeah, a group of kids get together that have, like, a common interest, no matter what it is, and uh, raise money for something something nice. <laughs>
night till the morning came around. Sit out running, but I take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. If I get home before daylight, just might get some sleep tonight. He loaned me 20 bills Spent the night in Utah In a cave up in the hill Sit out running but I take my time A friend of the devil is a friend of mine If I get home before daylight Just might get some sleep tonight